This was Francis Drake's ring. I, you know, kind of inherited it. Sick Parvis Magna? Greatness from small beginnings. It was his motto. Check out the date. 29th of January, 1596. One day after he supposedly died. Welcome to Now Playing's review of Uncharted. There are places out there you can't find on any map. They're not gone. They're just lost. Part of Now Playing's video game movie review series. I've been dreaming about this my whole life. Hosted by Justin. You're kind of weird, but kind of cute too. Stuart. You have no idea who you partnered with. And Arnie. What is that thing on your face? Yeah, puberty's right around the corner, kid. You can grow your own. This podcast may contain detailed plot spoilers and harsh language. What the hell? Listener discretion is advised. Who is ready to make a little history? So when do we start? Today we're discussing Uncharted, starring Tom Holland, Mark Wahlberg, Sophia Ali, Tati Gabriel, and Antonio Banderas, directed by Ruben Fleischer. This is Arnie, co-host of Now Playing, here with two people I consider almost friends. Stuart. And this is Justin. Welcome back to the video game Now Playing Arcade, with a new release this time. It feels like We'd escaped the arcade for a little while, but I have to say, this movie gave me hope. You know, it's not hard to be the best video game adaptation movie of all time, and this one looked like it had some money behind it, some talent behind it. So, could this be it? Could we have the best video game movie of all time coming up? It was a th- hope, it was a thought. I didn't know Uncharted as a game. We've entered this era now where I feel like whatever these things are, if they're hits or like small games, what was that thing with Mia Jovovich where she was flipping around in the desert with monsters? Monster Hunter. Yeah. I don't know if anyone saw that movie or played that game. Like, I just feel like I'm in no man's land. Huge game. I don't think anybody saw that movie. (laughs) Yeah. I hope not. Uncharted has a huge following. I mean, it's a big property and it has very rabid and happy fans. So I think coming into this movie, there's going to be higher expectations from the video game community than monsters ever could have. I'm going to take a stab. I've never played the game, but I'm just watching this movie. It feels like Tomb Raider with a guy. That's exactly it. This video game series is known as Dude Raider. Okay. (laughs) Yay. Yay for me. I figured that one out. Okay. Yeah, I hadn't played the Uncharted series. Justin, I guess you have a good history with it. I ended up playing it for the first time to get familiar for this movie. And yeah, it definitely had a Tomb Raider feel to me. If you're going through ancient ruins, you're solving puzzles, you're hanging from ledges, a lot of jumping puzzles. 
Yeah, a lot of globe trotting, a la Indiana Jones type of things. But my history with it isn't that I owned it. I was a PlayStation 1 guy, a PlayStation 2 guy. Then the 360 came out, and I was an Xbox guy. So I didn't have a PS3 or a PS4. I came back for the 5. So these games all came out in that history. So when I played it, it was at my brother's house. Whenever I was over there, he was into the first one. I remember being really deep into the second one. That's the one that really sticks with me for some reason. So that's the one I can probably talk most about. But yeah, it feels like you're playing Indiana Jones slash Tomb Raider. And you're all over the map and you're doing cool things like jumping from ledge to ledge, hopping on bridges that are falling out from underneath you. It feels like you're playing a movie while being in a video game. I'll definitely agree. And this was a game by Naughty Dog Studios who was bought by PlayStation. So when you watch the movie, you notice the PlayStation Movies logo at the beginning. I guess they're hoping for a PlayStation Cinematic Universe. I can't wait to see Tom Holland team up with Crash Bandicoot. Yeah, I thought I saw Ratchet and Clank in there. I was like, really? (laughs) They're bringing that back? Jack and Daxter, they're they're real close to Ratchet and Clank. But yeah, that same studio. (laughs) Yeah, Naughty Dog, they'd been wanting to create a cinematic game, and this is much more recent. It was one of the early titles for the PlayStation 3, where they just were looking at it like, how can we take an action-adventure movie and make it into a video game, and really incorporate all of the aspects and the fun and get a main character going that would carry a action-adventure movie franchise. So what we have here is a snake eating its own tail. Mm-hmm. They're making video games that want to be movies, and then they decided to make a movie based on the video game that started off wanting to be a copy of movies. <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah, we, we, we've come a long way since Raiders of the Lost Ark, but that feels like what everything you've said is trying to be. We wanted a game to emulate that. We finally created, it sounds like Uncharted actually successfully created the experience of you are now Indiana Jones, so the next level is PlayStation is getting into the movie game and wants to bring its properties This is the first one they're adapting. And they've been trying to adapt this into a movie since before the game came out. If you trust what I'm hearing from the interviews with the director and the producers and Avi Arad, the mastermind behind the early Marvel films, is one of the producers here who was involved bringing this to the screen. The first talks about adapting this were in 2006, despite the game not coming out into 2007. There have been a lot of names attached to this. Mm -hmm. And it almost filmed. The film we almost had, it's kind of amusing, would have starred Mark Wahlberg as Nathan Drake. (laughs) (laughs) He aged out. It went in, you know, development hell. He ended the talks and then they got back to him to play the older guy. Mm. The older guy, though, Sully, would have been played by Robert De Niro. Yeah, I mean, Mark Wahlberg's involvement here almost feels contractual, you know? I mean, we're not into the movie (laughs) yet, but you explaining that explains a lot of, of what we just sat down and watched. He does feel a little young for the role of Sully, having played the game. Yes. Robert De Niro might have been really good, because you're supposed to have an aged, experienced adventurer as Sully. And the director, it could have been a really good movie. It was going to be David O. Russell. Oh, I like David O. Russell a lot. He did Three Kings. That was kind of a treasure hunt movie. I could see him applying his wacky style to this. And that didn't happen for what reason? Just who knows, right? They never were able to crack the script, is what we were told. Mm. (laughs) And they still haven't. (laughs) 
And this came about because while Tom Holland was filming Spider-Man Homecoming, that first Spider-Man film, a Columbia Pictures film, a Sony film, no surprise, Sony sent him a PlayStation 4 for his trailer so that he could play video games in between filming that movie. And he was given Uncharted 4 and he got really, really into that game. And he started talking to the producers of Spider-Man, pitching things. You'll notice Tom Holland is an executive producer of this film. He is one of the driving forces that got it made. And he had this idea for James Bond Begins. You thought you had that with Casino Royale? He has an even earlier James Bond, a young James Bond type idea starring him. Mm, okay. I mean, he is British. He could actually just be James Bond in the next movie. I feel like they'd probably give it to him. Well, they, his idea was a little bit, you know, that you wouldn't know you're watching a James Bond film until the last scene. And at the last scene, he's christened James Bond and gets his 007 status. And they're like, well, we can't make a James Bond movie, A, because we're not MGM, but B, because you're not going to make a James Bond movie and not tell people it's a James Bond movie. But that origin story idea led the producer and Tom Holland to think, what if we did an origin story for Uncharted? Because when you start the first Uncharted game, you're already a bit of a seasoned fortune hunter, tomb raider type person. And with that idea and with Tom Holland attached, they finally cracked a plot and put this into sort of fast track. It ended up being filmed early pandemic era. They started filming in March of 2020. Mm -hmm. Okay, you're explaining a lot to me. So it was nobody else but Tom. Yes. And he is miscast here if you're trying to get Nathan Drake from the game. I mean, Nathan Drake from the game is pretty much sardonic Harrison Ford from Raiders of the Lost Ark. 30-something, I would say, experienced, you know, bringing Tom Holland into this. And Tom Holland, despite being mid-20s, plays so young that he's completely believable as a high school senior in Spider-Man No Way Home that Marky Mark would have been the better <laughs> choice if you wanted to be true to the games. Yeah, and if, if this movie was five, ten years ago, it would it should have been Nathan Fillion. Like I feel like that's who Nathan Drake is almost made to be on the game. But it had a decent cast. I mean, Mark Wahlberg, he'll do anything, it seems. His career will oscillate from utter garbage to movies I really like. Antonio Banderas, I hadn't seen him in a while. Good to see him coming back. But I do feel this movie is make or break for Tom Holland. And that's where I went into this is like, is he anything more than Spider-Man? I know he's a heartthrob. I've seen him at conventions. And I imagine the teenage girls at this convention are akin to what it was like to live during Beatlemania. I mean, they were just swooning and screaming and shrieking for Tom Holland. I'm like, okay, girls love him. He's number three domestic movie of all time with Spider-Man No Way Home. You'd think he'd have a lot of juice in Hollywood, but I think this movie is the one to say, is he the box office draw or is Spider-Man the box office draw? This is a big budget action film, 130 million spent. Can he actually open a movie? Can he actually carry a film? You know, like Luke Perry was a really big star. All the girls loved him, 90210. He goes and makes a bull riding movie, Eight Seconds. It didn't do crap. 
Just because young women like you doesn't mean you're Leonardo DiCaprio with Titanic. They don't necessarily show up in the theaters, particularly these days. And so far, Chaos Walking, total bomb. Cherry, did anybody see it? I like Devil All the Time, but it's not really a star vehicle. I wanted to see Cherry. I mean, that was the Russo brothers again with Tom Holland, and I just never got to it. I really want to see it. Never do. Oh. You really don't need to. It's not good. Really? Chaos Walking? I forgot that movie existed. I, I Like, I'm blanking. I knew Devil all the time. I knew Cherry. Did you see Chaos Walking? No one did. I think it holds the record for, like, biggest star to be in a movie that nobody actually saw. Maybe his mom went. I don't know. <laughs> You know, we'll give him, it was like 2021, early theaters reopening. Nobody wanted to go to theaters for the pandemic until Tom Holland as Spider-Man. I know it's anecdotal, but I do live with a 16-year-old girl who seems to be over Tom Holland at this point. A couple years ago, she thought he was just the hottest thing and told her I was going to see Uncharted. And she's like, what's that? I'm like, it's got Tom Holland. She's like, ew. (laughs) I'm like, okay, so, well. It can be a fickle game, right? Like one minute you're on the cover of Tiger Beat, the next minute you're doing straight to tape crap. I think this movie will decide if there's a Spider-Man 4, honestly, because it seems like Tom Holland's playing coy with contract negotiations, and if he can start carrying other franchises, if he's the young boy version of The Rock, then I think he'll play hardball and want Robert Downey Jr. money, if nothing else. And if this falls out of an airplane into the water, I think he'll be really happy to continue swinging from webs. There's one other player to talk about here, and it's Ruben Fleischer, who has had a few hits. We've covered him. Zombieland was him. Zombieland 2 was him as well. And you, Arnie, at least were a big fan of Venom. I don't know why that's such a popular thing. Is he a draw in thinking about applying his sort of goofy antics to Uncharted? You know, he did make those movies, and you mentioned the good ones. He also made 30 Minutes or Less and a number of other films I've seen that aren't very good. Yeah, I actually did look up Gangster Squad because it has such a great cast. I'm like, Ryan Gosling, Sean Penn, Emma Stone in a mob movie, like, beautiful looking, great art direction. I'm like, how bad could it be? Well, it's not, but there's nothing about it that doesn't feel cookie cutter. Like, it's the most bland mafia movie I think I've ever seen. And so I'm like, he's neither a plus or a minus. He just is. Yeah. So not necessarily an asset. Not David O. Russell at the very least, but we'll see what they can do. But how did you guys see this movie? I went opening night Thursday. There was a four o'clock showing trying to squeeze in, I guess, as many dollars as they could into that Thursday night premiere. I saw the seven o'clock show, Dolby Atmos Theater, and at most 25% full. Yeah, pretty similar to my experience. I went Thursday evening at six to, you know, about a quarter full theater. Not a bunch of people coming out for this one on opening night anyway. I wanted to go opening night, but there was an ice storm. So I was like, you know, I'm just not going to risk my life for this. I waited until yesterday matinee. It was a snow day. So I thought, hmm, all the high schools are out. The roads are pretty cleared out right now. Will it be a young crowd? Mm, 
kind of. I mean, I know that Tom Holland is supposed to be a teen idol. I would say a third of the crowd was probably young girls. A third of the crowd was old people. Um, But yes, a third full. It really wasn't a packed IMAX. I noticed that Tom Holland, you know, he's front and center on all the posters. He's what they're pushing. It's being produced, as you said, by Marvel people. This is supposed to be the thing you're devouring while you wait for the next Spider-Man. And I think we all can safely say not the same experience. I guess let's find out. Arnie, do you have a plot summary for us? Nathan Drake, played by Tom Holland, is a history buff but makes a living in New York as a fast-fingered pickpocket and bartender. Nathan's grifting is interrupted when he's approached by Victor Sullivan, also known as Sully, played by Mark Wahlberg. Sully is a fortune hunter on the search for the lost ships of Magellan, rumored to have about $5 billion worth of gold. Sully had partnered with Nathan's long-lost brother Sam on this hunt. Sam disappeared and Sully picked Nathan as a new partner, as Nathan's been fascinated by Magellan his entire life. (laughs) The only teenager ever. (laughs) Nobody else. Like, you can't drag me to a history class to read this stuff. But him, he eats up ancient maps. To get the fortune requires two keys, which take the form of bejeweled crosses. Sully has one, and the other is going up for auction. Sully and Nathan plot to steal it, but they have competition. Santiago Moncada, played by Antonio Banderas. The Moncada family has been searching for Magellan's gold for generations. Santiago's head goon is Joe Braddock, played by Tati Gabriel. Sully and Nathan succeed in stealing the cross, but Moncada and Braddock are on their tail. The two head to Barcelona, where they meet up with another fortune hunter friend of Sully's, Chloe Frazier, played by Sophia Ali. Frazier has the second cross, And, while none of the trio really trust each other, the three partner up to uncover secret catacombs underneath a Barcelona church. That gives them a map that shows the treasures in the Philippines. Chloe, it's revealed, also works for Mancada. She betrays the two men and steals the map. Sam and Nathan stow away on Mancada's plane to get to the Philippines. On the plane, Braddock betrays and kills Santiago and then tries to kill Chloe. The cargo hold of the plane opens, Sully parachutes out, Chloe and Nathan fall from the plane, but are saved when they grab onto a cargo container which has its own parachute. Again a trio, Sully, Chloe, and Nathan try to find the treasure. Nathan discovers a secret message in postcards from Sam that allow him to pinpoint the location. But in the night, Chloe steals the coordinates. Nathan expected this and left false information, so Nathan and Sully go in search of the treasure while Chloe goes on a wild goose chase. But Nathan and Sully have on their heels Braddock and her goons. The two men find Magellan's ships full of gold, and Braddock's team is close behind and airlifts the ancient boats out of the caverns. This leads to a big airborne action scene where Sully takes control of one helicopter and Nathan fights off goons on the flying boats. Nathan uses an ancient cannon on the ship to shoot down the enemy helicopter. Braddock drops anchor on the surviving ship, but she falls in the water and the ship crashes down on her, presumably killing her. Sully and Nathan escape in the second helicopter as both boats sink. Nathan plots a diving mission to retrieve the gold, but the Philippine Navy arrives and the gold is now property of their government. But Nathan filled his pockets with gold, so the fortune hunters aren't left empty-handed. As we go to the first credit scene showing Sam, alive and well, though in a prison of some sort, 
and a second credit scene showing Sully, now with a mustache, and Nathan starting another adventure as credits roll. And as they start, you know, this is a tactic. If there's one thing I knew about this movie, it's got an amazing aerial stunt in which Tom Holland is dangling off a load of cargo falling out of a plane. And they know it's a good scene. They've used it on the poster. I assume it's in the video game, but we're going to start the movie here. This is in part three of the series. It's one of the highlights, and it goes just like we will see this scene in the middle of the movie when we get back here. But yes, you're hopping on cargo containers trying to get back into a plane and completely ignoring the laws of physics. I have a feeling both wind shear and momentum are working against him as he's leaping forward trying to get back in the plane. But it is a fun scene. Is it too Spider-Man to see him leaping around and hanging off stuff? Maybe. It's not that for me. It's the fact that it's very clear to me he hasn't thought about a different performance. Like when he sees a goon with a gun and kicks him and goes, Oh, sorry, he didn't mean to do that. My foot slipped. or I'm like, that is a Peter Parker line. That is in no way someone saying I'm playing a different character. I have to agree with that. You know, I, I'm not anti-Tom Holland, but, you know, even just being generally familiar with the franchise of this video game, he is miscast as Nathan Drake. Oh, yeah. And it's going to be painfully obvious through this entire movie, and I think it will set a tone for the whole movie that just will make it not be able to live up to the namesake. I'll agree. He, You know, I find it hard to differentiate between Tom Holland, the person who's going to have a certain look and have a certain voice, and Tom Holland, the actor, who's going to give a performance. And yes, some of it's going to be the same because he's the same human being, but I do think throughout this movie, in his moves, because he does do some of the Spider-Man stunts himself, he's really good at jumping and backflips and things, and we're going to see him do some of this himself here. And with the types of moves he makes, and the way he plays it, I think he's slightly less bumbling. And I mean slightly, there are times when he hits people and seems very confident in doing so, but there is also a lot of that goofy, apologetic, Spider-Man, don't-know-my-own-strength type of thing. I couldn't see a difference in the two performances at all. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll split the difference a little bit. If if Peter Parker is 17, then Nathan Drake is being played as a 22-year-old. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not, it's not a big range of difference there in characters. But even more, like, jarring. Like, okay, you start with this amazing action. Wow, we're right there. He's falling... He's hanging, he finally makes it up to the plane, and then he's hit by a car falling out. All that stuff's really good. Fifteen years earlier, he was a museum thief? Is this stuff that's going to be in the game, if I play the game, why there are these two brothers breaking, again, into a history museum to get Magellan's map? That doesn't seem like something teenagers do. He's ten years old. Yeah, this is all going back to Uncharted 4, where you do have their backstory, you get to deal with young Nathan Drake, and introduced in part four, his brother Sam, and they live in the orphanage run by nuns. This is all very true to the series. I'm going to just say right now, this movie does a lot of direct lifts from the series. What we're watching is almost a greatest hits. I'll be, as we go through, pointing out a lot of stuff that is just this was in the game, this was in the game. Just about 
everything here is a direct lift. I'm okay with that. I mean, I, that doesn't bother me to think that there's a some of this looks like it would be fun to play. I just need to understand something. Like we learn very quickly, this ten year old boy is almost falling off ledges to break into a museum to get a Magellan map, and their parents are dead, and they think they're the descendants of Francis Drake, the 16th century explorer. I need more. What's happening? Do we ever know why they're on this life of crime? For me, I think it's starting to become apparent that this is almost a problem with modern day movies rather than just this movie, where every storytelling device has used character archetypes over the years. But I feel like we're at a place now where we're not even explaining archetypes. We're just saying, like, mm -hmm. you've seen this type of person before. Yeah. You read into them what you want to. And I feel like this whole movie is that. And, you know, to somebody who hasn't seen the games or played the games, you might be thinking, oh, I missed something from this character development in the games. But the movie doesn't seem to follow that either. So the character development here feels a little lazy and tropish right off the bat. Yeah. Agreed. If there's no explanation readily available. And I'm not not asking you to find like a secret level or something. Like if people that know this franchise don't know what they're talking about, I think that they screwed up here. Like I can see why you started with hanging out of the cargo plane. If you started here, it would be really confusing. You'd be like, I don't understand what's happening. And let's face it, these are hit games, but no matter what you're making, you need to get outside the base. A Marvel comic movie that only appeals to readers of Marvel comics is called a flop. If you have this movie, you want to appeal to more than just your gamer base, especially, I mean, it's a huge selling game, but if you're an Xbox person, you've never played it. Like Justin said, he's never had a chance to own these games. So you need to have something that can make the fanboy smile, but it also has to play to the uninitiated. And yeah, this opening, to me, it did feel, like Justin said, tropish. It's like, okay, he was hanging off of a car by his hand when we ended the first scene. He's caught by his hand by his brother. We're setting up this backstory. I kind of thought the brother would play more of a part in this movie than he does. He's really being saved, I think, for a sequel. Right. And again, a mention of parents that are dead. I didn't know if those were the characters from the video game and this was a new generation. You're telling me this is a prequel. So maybe the parents turn up in a later sequel or something. But long story short, if you're looking to understand who Drake is, this is about as detailed as they're going to get into it. He's got a brother. He loves his brother. His brother is going to get arrested for committing this half theft of a Magellan map. Couldn't take a picture? Like, I, why do you need the map? Fifteen years ago, you didn't have an iPhone. Yeah, yeah they could. you could have taken a picture. <laughs> Fifteen years ago is 2007, you know? Yeah. <laughs> they didn't invent cell phone photography. You could have done it. This feels bizarre that they had to have this map, for whatever reason, broke in. And then they're going to drive them back to the orphanage to drop off the little one, but the other one's going to jail. Hard time. It seems like the nun got to choose. Like, we've given him a lot of warnings and the nun's like, go get your stuff. I'm done with you. Yeah. I'll always be with you and I promise to come back sound contradictory. I don't believe this brother as he's going out the window saying that, yes, I'm never leaving you and I'll come back. I figure that the mystery of this movie they're telling us is I need to find Sam. But I guess it's the mystery of this franchise because that will be unresolved 
even when credits roll. We'll know that Sam is alive, but he will not reunite with his brother in the course of this adventure. No, Sam and the whole Ring subplot seem to be them dropping breadcrumbs for a potential sequel. Because the Ring does play a part in part three of the games as a key ingredient to figuring out a puzzle from that game. And part one. Oh, and part one too. So yeah, if there's a sequel, I'm sure it's going to have the Ring be one of the central components to being what they need to move forward. Are they setting up too much for a sequel? Are they overconfident in their sequelness? Oh, I definitely think that it will be a hard haul to say this was profitable enough for Uncharted 2. But yes, I also just think that you don't do that. Give us a full movie and don't worry so much about what happens next. Have them enjoy the experience and you'll get to where you're getting to later. Figure it out after you've made a tightly wound plot. I don't mind the breadcrumbs, you know, I mean, while you're in the process of making a movie, you can't know how well it's going to do, obviously, everybody's hoping for the best, so, you know, say this was a huge hit, they have laid the foundation to go forward for a second movie, and I would appreciate it if this movie had been something different, but I guess we'll get there. I'm assuming uh, also in the video games, you solve lots of puzzles. There are a lot of puzzles like Tomb Raider. Not the specific ones you see here, but, you know, it's Raiders of the Lost Ark. You've got this thing you shove into an ancient wall, and somehow these ancient people created booby traps that still work all these years later. Indiana Jones, Goonies, these were all on my mind as I watch. Yeah, I dubbed this movie the Gooniana Jones Code, you know, because there's a little bit of Da Vinci Code going on here. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, the puzzles in the game, like Arnie said, are, you know, you're turning columns with hieroglyphics on it to line up to reveal something, and then a wall slides open. So it's got all those elements mixed in with action scenes, you know, and so far the movie is doing that to a certain degree. It's going to settle into a rhythm of comfortable, like, okay, I can now see what they're doing here. But one more thing that just really sticks out at me at the beginning is we jump to present day. Nate's now 25, a bartender in New York City. And we're supposed to be okay with the fact that he steals bracelets off cute girls because they're trust fund kids? Like, that's kind of nasty. I didn't think that was cute at all. I was surprised how this doesn't come back. I thought they were setting up a skill for him, that he was very fast-fingered and able to do this, and that never really comes back that he's able to just lift things out of people's pockets other than in New York. He's going to use the skill again in five minutes, but then not in the rest of the movie. Yeah, it just goes back to what I was saying, that these characters are tropes. They're showing us things that don't matter to the character, but they want you to know that the character has these skills, but for no reason. And to Stuart's point, it just makes you think this character is an asshole. Right. I mean, think about all the young girls that like him sitting in the audience, and here he is robbing them, essentially, and and saying they deserve it because they're rich or something like, and while prattling on about Negroni cocktails, like everything about him is the opposite of charming in this beginning. And it makes you realize you need a different performance, if not a different actor, if this is the character. Yeah, I wasn't quite sure about the stealing of the bracelets. I just took it as he's hustling to get by, but it's not endearing. I didn't take it as a huge negative either. It just didn't stick with me. 
I thought for sure she was in on it and she would like turn around and say, okay, now I need you. Like this was a test or something like that. But no, she's a, a victim that never gets her bracelet back. It is Mark Wahlberg who is, I guess, watching this go down and wanting to use these skills on his heist. Sully here, very young for the character we've seen in the movie, very different relationship. Here, it's going to feel like these two kind of have an antagonism going on, whereas in the game, it's almost a paternal thing, and the two are really good buds that always have each other's back. Here, there's going to be a lot of mistrust, a lot of questioning, and there's a lot of Boston accent also. Were we supposed to think that he was the brother? For a while, I was like, uh, he's the long-lost brother. It's been 15 years. Uh, he didn't look like Mark Wahlberg in that opening scene, but I was... You're telling me now that Sully is a video game character, so this would be welcomed as another callback. But to me, it just created a confusion that I thought this character was something he was not. I can see that confusion not knowing the source material, but, I mean, introducing him, like, he almost deadpans at the camera and says, Sully. And it's like, oh, okay, so this is who Sully is. He just doesn't have a mustache and gray hair now. Oh, really? So he's that kind of grizzled. It's a, like an old salty guy. Yeah, Mark Wahlberg is 50, but obviously still fit, obviously still boyish to a certain extent. He doesn't play as Robert De Niro, you say. Yeah, exactly. De Niro would have been hard-pressed to make some of the jumps of things, because Sully is still an adventurer. I would have loved to have seen <laughs> Robert De Niro mm. as he is today, hanging off of one of these canisters. <laughs> Wouldn't that be entertaining? <laughs> For the wrong reasons, probably. <laughs> but yes, Marky Mark is just a little too youthful. Yeah, as he comes off here, you're hurting me, telling me he's 50. It's like, ouch. <laughs> Time does pass but he still seems young. <laughs> mm -hmm. It sounds like in both cases, yeah, some miscasting here if you were trying to emulate what was going on in the game. But here, all that I'm getting is that what is drawing in Nate to this adventure is not the prospect of Magellan Gold. Okay, you want to find that thing. You have the map we were trying to steal, but you were working with my brother, and you got a selfie with him as well, so I know it's true, and I'm going to hang with you to get back to him. And to start all of this off is going to involve a heist, and maybe the pickpocketing is just to show, hey, Nathan is cool with illegality, because the very first thing they're going to be trying to do is an auction heist. Yeah. So, yeah, your Da Vinci Code is, I think, a good callback. We've been talking a lot about Raiders and Tomb Raider, but this feels like a Da Vinci Code moment here where they've got an artifact that is going up on auction. Antonio Banderas wants it. Some other creepy people are coveting it. And this is the thing that Mark Wahlberg wants to steal. I'm always down for a good heist, but that's not what we get here. We learned that they didn't even have a plan. The plan was... You go in there and somehow cut the power in this mm. highly secured area, and he's going to pretend to be an usher and steal it in the chaos? Yeah, I got a coat. I look like one of the docents or something. Like It's a bubble yum ad in, in the end. It's like they make all this deal about him chewing gum and being boyish, and he uses it to get past a locked door, but otherwise... Mm. Again, this is straight from Uncharted 4, where they are actually raiding an auction by cutting the power. It goes very differently in this, the way they cut the power, the way he's hanging from some of the lights and things, but it is a recreation of a video game scene. It just feels very 
It's a huge escalation from I'm breaking into your house and I see you have a Magellan map and I want this cheap little bracelet back that I pickpocketed and that you stole from me straight to, okay, I've got this montage of working out and researching and now I know I need a cat, I need some bubblegum, and I'm going to be able to cut the power. And of course, the cat... This felt like a Guardians of the Galaxy joke, where Rocket Raccoon is like, and I need that guy's leg. And it turns out he didn't need the leg, it was just a joke, and here, Nathan doesn't need a cat, it's just thinking Sully is lonely, and so I've gotten you a cat. This script, yes, I'll give you, if you want to string together video game moments and call it a movie, maybe that's what you should do. But you'd never want to do it without wit. You want to have some genuine laughs. You want to have some genuine funny bits in it. And I looked up who had written this. The screenwriter team for Iron Man, which I think is a very witty, fun movie. But lately, not so good for them. Men in Black International, Transformers The Last Night, episodes of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Like, yeah, these, these are people that are not usually producing the kinds of quips and funny lines. It feels like they are quoting jokes they saw in other movies that were hits. As you say, Guardians of the Galaxy or what have you. It feels like people that are retelling jokes and laughing about them and expecting us to do the same. And it's worth pointing out, so much of Iron Man was ad-libbed and redone and kind of done by the seat of their pants that the screenwriters should feel very lucky to be credited with anything. (laughs) Yeah, maybe we ought to think of Downey as the wit that infused that movie. All I can say is it's not here. In these moments, it's very crucial that if we're having tropes, archetypes, people that are just plugged into a scenario, at least we want to be laughing with them. And all of this bit about the cat and what have you isn't working. It's not only not working for me, I did not hear a peep from my audience from start to finish. Nobody applauded. Nobody laughed. Nobody even cleared their throat. Yeah, because, you know, little quips and jokes like that have to be earned from the on-screen chemistry of the people that we're supposed to be following here. And so far, nobody on screen has chemistry with anybody else. They all feel like they're almost in separate rooms acting to nobody and then being spliced together in a lot of these scenes. (laughs) And to that point, shot during COVID, maybe they were, you know, like that's actually explains a lot if that's what happened. Yeah. But this is where we're meeting some of the supporting players. As you've said in the plot summary, Arnie, Antonio Banderas is here, presumably as the big villain. It will be kind of a twist that he doesn't stay throughout the whole story. But here he's trying to bid for the cross that's also a key or something. And it's worth pointing out, he pulled up to this auction house in that red sports car we saw falling out of the plane. So we know he's going to factor into the big stuff later. I didn't catch that that was the same sports car. And yeah, Antonio Banderas, he's downsized a little bit, but still looking good. I'm prepared to enjoy him as a villainous fortune hunter himself, that he's going to be the evil version of what they're doing. Only he got a lot of money behind him. He's going to bid up to $8 million to get that cross. That's money that our quote-unquote heroes do not have. Right. And I think it was said that he's part of a family line that actually funded the original Magellan voyage around the world. So to them, they're owed whatever gold Magellan had in his ship. That part was a little confusing to me because the way we first meet his character was that introduction of his family heritage. While they're looking at what seemed like a really ancient book, 
And I didn't realize that they were also looking at a more modern magazine. It almost looked like something from like the 1940s. Where there's a, a portrait of him and his father. And then when we meet him, I'm like, oh, th that was a current photo. Okay. I really was kind of lost on the timeline for a second there. I was like, oh, th I thought these people were from antiquity. But no, these are modern day people. Yeah, I agreed. A lot about the backstory, I think, is confused. Maybe because this thing got rewritten during COVID and they couldn't do some of the things. I'm willing to give them that. It feels like a compromised movie where they had to change things mid-course and things that might have been important now feel like superfluous flourishes. But yeah, he will end up being almost incidental to this. We should really be paying attention to the badass henchwoman with the blonde tresses and the, the knife. And what's funny is if you look at this movie's poster, the biggest face is Tom Holland. The second biggest face is Mark Wahlberg. The third biggest is Antonio Banderas, and he is third build in the end credits. And Braddock, Tati Gabrielle, is this small little person in the shadow of Antonio Banderas. And so I have to ask, what happened to Antonio Banderas in this movie that, yes, we're going to be focusing so much on Joe Baddock? Maybe he couldn't come back for the reshoots, or maybe they thought it was a brilliant twist. Well, and also, the way this movie ends, our, our ultimate set scene is very action-packed, and I just don't know that Antonio Banderas <laughs> could pull off some of the things that needed to be done. He's a little bit more limber than Robert De Niro, but obviously not a whole lot more fit. Okay, but we have this entire subplot that I just want to touch on here as we're introducing the character, that... We're going to have a scene with Santiago and his father, Armando, and Armando is giving away the family fortune and says Santiago is the spoiled child who deserves absolutely nothing. I'd be a little mad if my father was giving away everything and leaving me destitute also. I don't know that I'd hire Baddock to cut my father's throat like happens here, but we're getting so much backstory on Santiago Mancada that... He needs to stay important in this movie. You can't set up so much time with him and his father and things just to pull a fooled you twist later on. I'm glad I'm not the only one that didn't understand those scenes. Like, I really was like, what? What? Huh? What fortune are you giving away? Like... It looked like they owned an uh, archaeological dig in Barcelona. Like, it looked like the family fortune was in digging up antiquities. And for whatever reason, the old man was going to... Who was he giving it away to? Like, what? I don't, I don't know. Yeah, something was said about cutting out Antonio Banderas from the money. But I couldn't follow that at all. Yeah, it almost feels like it was reverse engineered to explain how the henchmen at the end could afford helicopters and a ship mm -hmm. and a cargo plane. Okay. You know, it, it, they needed to explain where that money came from, apparently. Right. Yeah, good point. I hadn't thought about that. I'm just so used to James Bond movies where they have these things. Yeah. <laughs> and there's another, there's two other henchmen. I actually feel like there's only one that matters. There's the Scotsman and the running joke is you can never understand what he's saying before he punches you. And then there's just some other dude. That, like, I think his name is, I looked it up, Hugo, but I don't think it was ever said. I didn't know why the Scotsman was attacking Nathan in the auction house. And, like, the Scotsman is also in the back hallways of the auction house. I literally thought the Scotsman worked for the auction house because of where he was introduced. And then he shows up later on 
with Mankata and Baddock, and I'm like, wait a second. So he wasn't just auction house security? He's going to stick around? I think that they're henchmen of the henchwoman. Like, uh, Braddock <laughs> works for Antonio Banderas, and then she's got two goons to say, you know, go get Nate as he's slipping off to cut the power. And they get to have the fun stuff up in the lights while Mike Wahlberg gets to try and slip past her with the cross, which he ultimately does. That's a good video game trope, right? You know, you have your sub-bosses and the big boss that you're eventually going to fight. So if that's what we're getting set up for, then I can see where we're heading. Yeah. I I didn't feel like this was a great scene. I I will say, I felt like hanging off the plane, I really want to know what happens there. But this is our first full-on bonafide action scene. Eh, It's kind of cool to hang from the lights, but it's not great action. No, how Sully gets the cross is what should be the hard thing to do. But it seems really easy. Again, like you say, he just turns his coat inside out and it looks like one of the employees' coats and he's able to just walk out with that briefcase while Nathan is the one left behind with all the security guards and he just is able to slip out. He doesn't even slip out. It's look over there. (laughs) What? (laughs) You know? Your shoe's untied. I mean, it's that level of escape. And I'm surprised they got the cross. Did you guys think they'd get the cross? I just thought in movie fashion, they wouldn't get the cross and thus have to work harder and show, hey, this bad guy is more powerful than us. This bad guy got the cross. We're screwed. Now we have an uphill battle. Not, we have all the leverage. We have both crosses. We're not even going to explain how the other cross came around. We're just going to shorthand that. We already got cross number one. Cross number two, no problem. And now it's the bad guy scrambling to keep up. Yeah, I didn't have much time to focus on it other than I left the scene feeling like, well, that was a little bit underwhelming. We're now at the act change. We should be getting into it. It should be watching, as you say, Tom Holland show his skills with, you know, fleet fingers and what have you. And he really, again, is just doing goofy Spider-Man swings and making jokes, and I guess the thing that gets set up here, it's almost so obvious it doesn't need to be pointed out, but the relationship is defined by Sully always choosing the gold over the friendship, and he leaves Tom Holland behind. It's only sheer luck that the characters end up together in the limo heading to Barcelona. I know Indiana Jones was copying old 40s films. Casablanca did this with the airplane trips and the red lines and everything. But is it too much if you're making an Indiana Jones ripoff to actually do that? <laughs> this one was a little cool because they had like fun little silver. They look like Monopoly pieces, the planes flying around. I, I kind of like the way they did it, but it is a obviously an old fashioned trope. Yeah, and it's also one that is used in games as well, you know, so like I didn't mind it that much and it, it did feel almost video game-ish. It, it was obviously 3D rendered and modernized, so yeah, I mean, they didn't overdo it, so it didn't really bother me. What always gets me concerned when we're in an arcade movie is when they start introducing two artifacts that are finally rejoined against, like, uh-oh, we're back in Double Dragon area. <laughs> <laughs> you remember Double Dragon? <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Props to that. We're also meeting the other character that matters here. Chloe Frazier, presumably a character from the games. 
absolutely a very important character from the games who is a lot of times Nathan's partner and Sully's partner, but yes, there is a bit of distrust between them as well. They're recreating that pretty faithfully here. Yeah, and the first actor in this movie to be cast and actually look like their counterpart from the video game. This is the first thing that looks on screen to be from the Uncharted world. I'd never heard of Sophia Ali before, so that must be why she got the part. Like, she's cheap, and she's waxwork of the character, so keep her. But I like this kind of brought me back a little. When they get to Barcelona, and she swipes the cross from the bag, and we have this parkour chase on rooftops and through fountains and what have you. It was pretty fun. But this again, once again, we've been complaining about character trope types. Is she magic? Because we watched that scene and she didn't come anywhere near that backpack. How did she swipe the cross from that backpack? It wasn't sleight of hand. It was just, hey, she has it now. Let's chase. She'd been following them since the airport. So maybe she got it at baggage claim. Who knows? Again, if you're asking why questions, this is not the movie for you. You don't check the cross. You (laughs) keep that and carry on. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. You swallow that if you have to in a balloon. But yeah, so this is where they have to create the truce to trust one another. She's driving this really super cool Mad Max like SUV rover and Nate jumps in front of it and says, you might have the two keys, but I know where the locks are. I figured it out from the journal. The Church of the Pines, Santa Maria de Pai. Or pizza to pie if you're going to Papa John's. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I definitely think this movie was a product placement uh, funded. You know, Bubba Yubba and Tinder and Papa John's are definitely getting large shout outs here. I think if you're on the tourism board of Barcelona, you're going to have a word with this (laughs) film production because it's like (laughs) the thing you see most in Barcelona is a Papa John's franchise. Okay. Yeah, that was strange. But the journal tells them they need to find heaven and hell, and thus the two keys that are actually golden crosses will open that. And from that, they realize the book had a tree. This is uh, the Church of the Pine. It's got the same tree on the marquee. They know that they need to show up here and all these puzzles. I will say this. They are too hard for me to figure out, but they are too easy for the characters to figure out. Like, I feel like they're walking around going, oh, do this (laughs) and that and whatever. And I'm going, huh? Yeah, this is the part that's really going to bother me the most because... I am a fan of the Dan Brown books, you know, the Robert Langdon series. Mm -hmm. The movies aren't that great. You know, they're kind of cliff notes for the books. But what Dan Brown does is he gives you enough information to feel like you're smart enough to figure out these puzzles. Mm. This movie doesn't even come close to that. Mm -mm. I mean, we're in catacombs. We're finding places. The thing that really angers me is they have to figure out where to go first. They end up in the basement of a church. They have to figure out both keys and everything. Can I just say, if I went into a church, and I've toured churches in Paris, and I haven't been to Barcelona, but Madrid, I've, London, I've gone to these famous churches. If I start moving some pews around, somebody's going to stop me. You can't just start digging into the floor of an ancient church and not have somebody be like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> they go through some tunnels and then where they ultimately end up is a nightclub. Called Inferno. Like you're looking for hell. You didn't even need the church. <laughs> I agree. Right. <laughs> where it's like, okay, anybody could have stumbled across this wall Over the last 300 years. This movie feels way underpopulated, though. To the COVID idea, don't you feel most scenes only have the main characters in them? Like, they go to lots of places on the street and what have you. Very few extras. Yeah, and all the extras are keeping a good six-foot distance. Mm Mm-hmm. So I feel for them. 
They are trying to do something. This would obviously feel more natural. They might have had a docent run up and, <laughs> and do that very thing, Arnie, if, if it weren't dangerous to do that in pre-vaccination time. So again, a, a lot of problems here. It feels a little chintzy. Like I don't feel like these traps are that visually appealing. Like they go to the altar and turn the keys and the darts pop out. They shoot nowhere where they're standing and turning the keys. I'm like, there's nothing dangerous about these traps. Like I, that's the thing. I don't care how we get there, but if you're telling me we're doing Raiders of the Lost Ark swashbuckling, I want to enjoy that. And I feel like I neither can figure out the puzzles nor enjoy the death-defying stunts that are happening as they solve them. But this type of puzzle is just ingrained in this franchise. The booby traps, the, like Justin said, you turn the pillars, you turn the keys, you find the keys. All of this is part and parcel of being Uncharted. So, I mean, this definitely isn't Raiders level. Is it National Treasure level? Maybe. I haven't seen that. So maybe we'll cover that franchise one day. But my feeling is that would series would have to do it better because people like that movie. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, ultimately, what you're saying, Stuart, is since you're not familiar with the game, that as a movie, it needs to be satisfying to the viewer yeah. what they're completing here. And it, I think it's serving neither. You know, as a video game fan, I'm looking at this going like, eh, that was kind of easy. I might have had to respawn once to get through this. But even as a movie, I'm like, they're getting through it too easily. For sure. And the jokes that they think that are hilarious, like the cat that got bought and now it's the lighter that won't light. They're at the bar at, at some point and Nate is having to light alcohol on the bar to create a distraction, a flame distraction and can't make it happen. Like, is that like, it doesn't get funnier the more they do it. Let me put it, they do it like nine times in this movie. I didn't hear a laugh once and I think I was feeling groans by the time we're at this point. And that distraction would merely draw more attention to themselves. It's not like he sets an inferno. He sets a small fire right. right next to him as he's then jumping behind the bar. On the only bar in the club. Yeah, I agree. Like, that feels very dangerous and foolish since you're trying to get to the mosaic behind the bar, which is where the keyhole is. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> Just not very good, right? Like... Transformers last night bad, maybe not quite that bad, but like it feels like these screenwriters really aren't trying very hard. Here's the thing is much like these puzzles, I don't feel they're great. I don't feel they're awful. Everything going on here feels mediocre. It's just like right down the middle. It's not doing it great. It's not doing it really poorly. It's just completely average. Mm -hmm. Agreed. It's not bad. It's bland. It's like, I just feel nothing. Numb. But we're almost an hour into this movie. It's worth pointing out. By this point, they've gone through the Hell Club that the potential lovers, it should be saying that, that Nate has some flirty eyes for Chloe, and they've been the ones going down below and finding the Hell Club, turning the key. They wind up in a trap where a fountain is filling the room with water, they need Mark Wahlberg up on street level to turn the key at heaven, which is, as you've already said, inexplicably <laughs> at a Papa John's. <laughs> and this is where Braddock comes back with a gun. You can see it coming. You see all the setups. It's like she's holding a gun, pointing at the glass that he can't break to get to the keyhole. Well, obviously, we know how he's going to get there. Thank God, in 500 years, nobody severed the connection between the keyhole at Papa John's and the flooding going on <laughs> underneath 
the city. Yeah, it's silly when you think about it. But even if you turn off your brain, you're still going to want to turn on your adrenaline. You know what I mean? And like this stuff is not exciting. I was shocked. I thought they might have killed Chloe here. And I knew she was a part of the game. But Tom Holland, when he they finally get oxygen, he swims up and grabs some air. And she's not there. He goes back down. She's floating lifeless. He brings her up to the oxygen. And he doesn't do CPR or anything. I know. <laughs> she just has to spit out the water herself. He does not help her empty the lungs. He just holds her up. And she goes, blah. I'm like, okay, I don't think it works that way. But because he wasn't even doing CPR, I'm like, oh, she's dead. Oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, can't even be bothered to, like, bring her, resuscitate her as you would a drowned victim. But, yeah, this scene is so strange, you wonder why they did it. It, it becomes clear five minutes later. <laughs> my god could they have been afraid to do mouth-to-mouth resuscitation right then you turn it into a romantic comedy joke right he's got to kiss her or whatever like that's what he wants to do it seems like an obvious thing to do but i'm saying with covid mm. you don't want to put your mouth on somebody else's mouth <laughs> oh my god you might be that might be exactly why we didn't get what would be such an obvious thing to include so Again, the reason why you keep this and not just cut that out because it's so strange and stupid is because you want to have the injustice of he just saved her life and she's going to betray him once they put the two keys together, open into the final room and find four vats of salt with a map in it. Yeah, a a hidden room, mind you, that is directly below a utility grate from the street. So, like, how ancient and hidden is this room? Wahlberg is, like, yelling down at them through the sewer. Like, he can see all of this. Like, as Artie points out, has none of the street cleaners, tourists, people that have dropped things down there, nobody noticed this Roman storeroom from 2,000 years before? Oh, but it was locked. They just were enjoying the delicious pizza and looking at their phone apps. It is very dumb. This movie has announced very clearly it's dumb, but more troubling. I just want to stress that. I figured video game movies, they're usually dumb. This is not exciting. I'm feeling like we're halfway into this. This movie's pretty short. It's under two hours. And like we're at the hour mark. Kind of good parkour where they're running on the roof. And I can't wait to get back to hanging out of the cargo plane. But it's been kind of a slog. Yeah, I mean, as far as action goes, it's been sparse and few and far between. You know, the game has more exciting stuff than this. I mean, in the game, you're you're avoiding trucks that are shooting at you flipping over. And you're being chased on boats and all this good stuff. And so far, we've had a chase through through the streets and a glimpse at what's to come with them falling out of an airplane. But they got the map and they know the treasures in the Philippines. Is it because Chloe steals the map that they stole away on their enemy's plane instead of just going to the Philippines and waiting for them? Yeah, because Chloe ends up working for Antonio Banderas. That's the big shocking twist, I guess, is that all along we thought Braddock was the only henchwoman. There was two. And so she's brought the map to him. They're loading up onto the plane. And yeah, there's the sports car. Don't want to get a scratch on it. So the guys slip in there. And this is the big shocker is Banderas drunkenly bragging to his people that he's going to reclaim his family fortune. This is where Braddock realizes she can stage a coup. And you know it's a PG-13 rated movie because... (laughs) Every time a throat is cut in this film, they will just cut away or show a little red line. Yeah, if you cut a throat, you gush. I mean, you're cutting arteries there. And yes, it looks like he got a paper cut on his neck. (laughs) 
they should have given her a different weapon, right? Like, if you can't show this, if you've just decided that that's too violent, then have her have, like, a poison ring or something like that. You know, like, another way to convey a bloodless death. Because this looks foolish, that she slit his throat with that knife and then nothing comes out. We're spending the whole time watching him on the floor being like, where's the blood? Yeah, they're really trying to make her little curved knife something cool. And it's just not working. It's making her character look ridiculous because earlier in the movie we didn't talk about it she assassinated antonio banderas's father right in his own car like she just slit his throat in the car it's like come on if you're an assassin he's an old man make it look like an accident like how are you gonna explain blood on your white leather seats but they don't worry about that type of thing there is no blood that's how you explain it you just cut away and not show that again don't have this be her mo i I agree if you can be bloody and have this be her M.O. But if you can't be bloody, this looks foolish. And so far, this movie has just been, to me, a movie. Neither good nor bad. But I'm frustrated that we spent so much time on Antonio Banderas' backstory with his father and his family fortune. And this is his blood right. And this is how you take him out of the movie. And I am just wondering, did shooting go long because of COVID protocols? He had to go do something else? Why in the world would you spend so much time building up a character and take him out this way? Yes, it's a twist I didn't see coming, but that's because it's a real bad narrative move to do it. Only if you're replacing him by someone that's more threatening. And I will say that, yes, if you wanted to see someone do more physical stunts, you'd want this chick Braddock to do it and not Banderas. But I kind of don't get it. I feel like they told us this was the guy we should pay attention to. And you're right. I tried to follow his story and now it seems meaningless. But imagine you're watching Goldfinger and about... Two-thirds of the way through Goldfinger, Oddjob kills Goldfinger, and now Oddjob's the bad guy, but you still have no backstory on Oddjob or anything. I mean, that's what we have here. We don't know anything about Braddock other than she's a cool-looking bad guy with a knife. Yeah, we do know one other thing about her, maybe, and that is that she plays into a past with Sam. Nate's brother. And at this point in the movie, Nate has turned to Sully and said, I want answers. Tell me what. I looked you up and you are a disgraced Iraq veteran that stole artifacts. And Wahlberg says something to the effect of they were trying to get the book that they've been using, the one with the tree picture. And I thought he said Braddock gunned Sam down. But then there's some dialogue about you left him behind. So it wasn't clear to me in that exchange whether Sam was shot and killed by Braddock or had just been ambushed and captured by Braddock. Yeah, and I think they left that somewhat ambiguous. I think as far as Sully's concerned, he thinks Sam is dead, but we don't know that for sure. Yeah, I get what they're doing because we'll have an end stinger that's supposed to be like, (gasps) but in service of what? The frustrating thing with Braddock is is they wrote themselves into their own corner there. Like, why did they have to make it so she was recently hired by Antonio Banderas? Like, she could have been his right-hand man for years, which would have then given her motivation to backstab him at the last moment for this plan that they've had for a long time. The way it plays is she's mad that Chloe was working for him. Like, it's like a cat fight. Like, oh, how dare you hire this woman? I don't like women. And so that sort of plays out next. After Banderas is killed, she's sending out her goons to search the plane to go kill Chloe. This is about the time where the guys emerge from the car and we kind of catch up with the beginning of the movie. We have the complete 
cargo plane, stuff falling out, parachuting, aerial stunt stuff. Well, what they do here is because we've already seen this entire scene from Nathan's point of view. We've seen him dock cargo containers and things. We're going to cut back and forth now. We're going to not see everything we saw at the beginning because we're going to see things also from Sully and Chloe's perspective on the plane while Nathan's hanging outside the plane. We're going to find out why the car hits him. It's because Chloe got in the Mercedes and is driving out of the plane, not just random, it was falling out of the plane. I still enjoy this scene. I will just posit the idea, though. Does this look finished? Did it look like they suddenly had to go to blue screen sometimes when maybe the plan was to shoot on location? The whole thing was blue screen beginning to end as this scene. I've seen the behind the scenes stuff. A lot of it looked good, but the part that looked really bad is when they're flying out in the car and she gets out of the car and it's like they're having a casual conversation as falling. Yes, right. Bickering as they fall in some kind of Looney Tunes fashion. Yeah, I agree. That was the moment I was like, that doesn't look really good. I was wondering how they were going to get out of it, though. I will admit that I hadn't played Uncharted 3, and so I didn't realize the solution was grab a cargo container, and the cargo container will have a parachute. We'll have them wash up at some resort, and we have an inexplicable cameo that must be a video game Easter egg. There's a man sitting in a lounge chair saying, oh, I fell out of a car that fell out of a plane once. That is Nolan North, who is not just the voice, but the mocap for Nathan Drake in every single Uncharted game. Okay. All right. I figured it had to be related because it made no sense. And you just wouldn't include it unless it was an in-joke. Yeah. And it was filmed for even somebody who doesn't know the games to be like, okay, this is obviously somebody. Who are you trying to show us this is? And they gave him just enough to say that you could recognize the voice. But it really, it really felt like, oh, geez, we should really try to tie this game in somehow. Let's get the original guy in here. But it is so obvious that this has got to be somebody that to the uninitiated, this has to be confusing. Like, why has this other guy all of a sudden also fallen out of a plane and grabbed a cargo canister? I mean, when you had Stan Lee cameos, the movie that came to mind is X-Men 1, where the senator walks up on the beach and you have Stan Lee on that beach. If you don't know who Stan Lee is, you just cut into somebody doing the reaction shot. If you had Stan Lee coming up and giving a speech and going, enough said, at that moment, and nobody knows who Stan Lee is, it's really distracting and off-putting. Yeah, is this what PlayStation's going to do in all its movies, have voice actors pop on? Guess what? No one is going to get the joke. (laughs) Yeah, it really does play like this is a reboot of a franchise from the early 80s, and this is the original actor who played... Nathan Drake, and we're, we're all supposed to know that. Yeah, I figured it was some kind of callback for those in the know, and I knew I wasn't in the know, and I just let it go. Oh my god, Tom Holland can't escape the multiverse. <laughs> it's the old Nathan Drake with the new Nathan Drake. Anyway, if we're talking Bond movies. This is a part of a Bond movie where he beds the babe and we spend a little bit of time on romantic chemistry. I want to ask, does he have any with Chloe here? A little bit. I mean, when he's sitting there topless and he does look pretty jacked, you know, he's not the rock, but he's certainly chiseled for that scene and showing Chloe the map and things. I kind of thought there's one bed in that room and at times she's sleeping in it and then later he's sleeping in it. I thought at some point there would be a time they're both sleeping in it or not sleeping as the case may be, but it never went that way. 
Did they not have sex? I couldn't figure it out. Like, I don't know what I'm supposed to be seeing here. Like, this is not Vesper Lind and James Bond. Right. This is what I'm talking about. It's just tropes. They want you to read into it what you read into other movies. Yeah. So you see a guy in bed. You see a girl in bed. Not at the same time. You fill in the blanks is what the filmmakers are saying here. I think you're right. And that's not good storytelling. Well, neither is 12 hours of pouring over the same six postcards that you've had in your possession for 12 years and finally remembering that trick with the lighter. Here's the thing is in my head, I was doing all kinds of word games. I was like, he said this, but what is it? You know, like I was like taking the first letters of every word and trying to like form, you know, I was working way too hard. Like I just needed to play Wordle or something like that because truly it was just hold the lighter up and it'll just say the keys are a compass and he then sticks it into the map like a compass from like geometry class or whatever and it like somehow points to the right beach i feel like those things could have pointed anywhere they only met at one spot maybe or you could go in the other direction and they'd point somewhere else yeah north or south two spots but you knew it was in the philippines that's a big place like there were a lot of islands there but yes they find the right island the point is he knows the right island i did like the joke he leads for her coordinates out and it's a test you know will you stay with me and go with me and i'll share that it's the right one or will you run off thinking that you can't trust me and haha you're out of the climax yeah at least shows a little character development here you know he's learning that he can't trust anybody But it is disappointing, not as disappointing as Antonio Banderas, but disappointing that this is the end of Chloe. She's not coming back, except for a joke later on of, hey, remember Chloe's in this movie? Yeah, she's a punchline at the end. But even more of a dunderheaded move. So, okay, I know where I'm going. He drives right by the bad guys and doesn't (laughs) notice. (laughs) They're like, hey, we had no idea where we were going until just now. So I guess we'll follow you to the magic cave. Which does look straight out of Goonies. When I saw the boat in the cave and everything i'm like oh they finally found one-eyed willie's treasure not only that i thought yeah the the golden asthma inhaler was going to pop out when he's going through the (laughs) barrels or whatever and come on you're telling me nobody has stumbled across this pirate ship two pirate ships in the last 400 years like some of the stuff in barcelona i could overlook it's like okay fine there's some riddles here this is an open cave Like, nobody in the history of time has looked down that hole and seen two ships. Pretty painful, I agree. Like, it's on the map. It's not like it's uncharted, like the title would have you believe. You look at the map of the Philippines, it's there. And apparently these two keys point to it if you do the right thingy. This should be pillaged. The joke should have been, yeah, somebody 300 years ago already took the gold out of it. And it's just empty ships or something. And this scene, the way they're filming it and everything, finding the two boats, even the music, we're all right in an Uncharted game here. Okay, I figured. Although not a lot of action. I just want to point out that, like, again, we haven't had a whole lot of what I would consider video game hopping around or even puzzle solving at this point, unless you call that putting the lighter to the postcard a puzzle. But what we're going to have is the bad guys come back. The Uncharted games are so close to Raiders of the Lost Ark that at the end of each one... You're fighting a monster, or a zombie, or something. Giant spiders. You go supernatural as your last villain of all of these games. So when they get to the pirate ship, I'm like, okay, what are we going to have? Are we Jack Sparrowing it? Are we going to have undead pirates? What are we going to have on this boat? We're not going to have anything on this boat. I guess this is a more grounded 
Uncharted. It felt like a bit of a ripoff that we didn't get a Raiders of the Lost Ark like supernatural <laughs> twist. Or at least some booby traps. The, the gold is just sitting there waiting to be plundered. Yeah. I wonder if that had to be a choice because it's like, that's how Indiana Jones ends, right? It's pretty grounded throughout. And then at the end, something supernatural happens. So I wonder if they had to like weigh that in to like, well, do we follow the game or do we become an Indiana Jones ripoff? Yeah, but Indiana Jones at least would tease that stuff throughout, you know, talking about uh, power of the Ark and how it could decimate armies and the lore of the Ark. They never even hint at something here the way they do in the games and things that would, I mean, admittedly, in the movie we watched, if Undead Magellan shows up, we're going to be like, what the hell happened here? <laughs> who wants that part? Nick Nolte? I'm trying to think of who would be good as a dead, undead Magellan. I mean, it would be totally not set up, but I did just feel like if you're going to be this true to Uncharted, to not have something supernatural or at least a giant spider or something. The octopus. The octopus they cut from Goonies. Yes. There you <laughs> there go. We go. <laughs> Problem solved. But we're now in the climax where they are going to do something kind of cool. I like the idea that they're treating the ships as just as valuable as the gold. They know that these are artifacts, and so they got to get them out of the Philippines. they got to haul them away. If they were to tell the government, the government would just claim them for themselves. They've actually got to airlift them out, and this gives us a lot of fun as two old ships are swinging around, nearly colliding with each other, and mountains. Am I the only one who thought Super Mario 3 with the pirate boat in the sky? <laughs> I didn't play that, so no, I didn't think about that, but I think it's a fun video game sequence. Is it this good? It's better. Okay. What was that De Niro movie from like 15, 20 years ago with the floating pirate ship? Oh, we reviewed that Stardust. Yeah, Stardust. There Deek. you go. <laughs> Ah, but no, we're finally, finally getting set up for something that feels like a video game climax, right? You've got two pirate ships being flown through the sky with helicopters and rocks to avoid. We finally have this set up. Hey, I gotta say, for a video game movie, I think this pays off. There's some tension here. There's some good action. We even get a cannon fired at a helicopter. I'm enjoying this scene. The cannon fire is great. I do like that that lighter finally pays off and the fact that, yeah, these old ships would have cannons on them to stop pirates and everything else. And when he just randomly came across a cannonball and a bag of gunpowder, which felt so video game, I'm going around and, hey, gunpowder, I'll take that and add it to my inventory. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I knew where this was going. <laughs> Meanwhile, Sully's climbed up to the top of and, and, you know, gotten rid of the goons in Chopper number one. The real henchwoman, Braddock, she's in Chopper two. I, I think that's fun to watch the bad guys from one ship kind of swing over like pirates takeovers are in the old movies. You know, like you're, you're seeing it happen old fashioned, but in the air swinging around while Mark Wahlberg is trying to avoid these mountaintops and all of that. Tom Holland even does an Errol Flynn move. Did you catch it when he, like, jumps and uses the knife to, like, slow his descent on the sail? It was like <laughs> those old movies. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. But the only thing I didn't get was I thought they were treating it like 
Wahlberg's character, something in the past, because he was dishonorably discharged, he hadn't been behind a chopper or... Like, this was a big deal for him to be in this moment. It felt like it was supposed to be a character beat. We're already concluding the fact that you can plug in whatever story you want to here. But I just kind of wanted to know why he was so impressed with himself that he was flying again. I don't know. (laughs) I didn't get that from the character at that moment. I thought he was kind of impressed with himself that he murdered the two guys on that chopper. Yeah. Mm. And then has to give up the gold in order to save his friend. This is the climax, the repeat of the auction house. Only this time he's going to make the humane choice and drop a bag of gold on Braddock as Nate and Braddock are scaling up the rope. Yeah, and once again, if you're looking for story or sense, like, I'm not sure what their plan was. Like, now they're piloting a helicopter that's dragging an ancient ship. Where are they heading? Like, I don't even know where they could possibly begin to try to land that and get away with it. International waters, if they could just get it out of the range of a government, then I think they could probably claim it and sell it. Yeah, I think that's what gets said as it sinks, because you're like, oh, all right, maybe the ship's not intact anymore. You could still go back and dive for the gold, but because the Philippine Navy is riding in there, it's theirs. And so they didn't succeed in pulling it out far enough. International waters would have helped. But Tom Holland did fill his pockets with gold. Again, a Goonies moment. (laughs) You know, you didn't get all of the gold, but you got just enough jewels to buy the boondocks. Yeah, I you know, it's some kind of happy ending for this. End on a laugh, right? Like, Or at least end on people laughing at their own jokes. I don't know if we're laughing. But yeah, I mean, it makes you question what was the point. You know, in a game, the point would be to discover the artifacts and recover them, you know, so they could be put in a museum or something. But the only impetus here was Sully's greed. So that's what pays off, is that he does become somewhat rich. Because there's a little bit of gold? Is that satisfying? Not only that, I thought that what got said was Nate is in this until he finds his brother. And, like, that ends up just being some weird stinger. Like, after credits are rolling, we will see Sam in some unidentified jail, right? We don't know on what continent he has been imprisoned. How does he know where to send the postcards at this point? (laughs) He's still writing those postcards and presumably the secret messages. Do they allow him to have the invisible ink? Just all of that is so annoying that they feel like this is a good enough twist to create mystery and intrigue for a sequel. I don't care. If you weren't going to solve this in the first movie, I don't want to come back two or three movies later to finally meet Sam. Especially since it was explicitly said at one point that he felt like his brother betrayed him a long time ago. Was that just him protecting his own feelings? It felt like it was sincere when he said it. Yeah, I mean, he could, it was 15 years. If he was coming back for him, he could have done it within that time frame, way earlier. Yeah, this is again a callback to Uncharted 4, where Sam was in a prison. Chances are he's in Panama, which is where he was trapped in the games. What Ruben Fleischer said is we want Sam to be a part of the next movie and we don't want it to be, hey, we thought you were dead the whole first movie and now you're conveniently alive all of a sudden. So instead of doing that, we're going to show you in this first movie he is alive so that we didn't completely lie and cheat. They never specifically said Sam was dead. It was implied But Nathan did say to Braddock, did you kill my brother? And then fell out of the plane before Braddock could answer. Yeah. So this was 
Fleischer, he felt it was more honest to do it this way. Okay. Keeping that uh, open question to a question nobody asked. Anyway, we have another stinger, too. If you aren't running for the doors as soon as the music kicks in. Which I think you were, right, Justin? Yeah. I, I saw one stinger. I'm like, okay, that's enough. They're, they're rolling credits. So you didn't see three minutes later when they cut to, uh, well, it, here's the thing. This was in the trailer. Yes. I don't know if you guys saw this yes. scene, but this whole joke about Mark Wahlberg with a mustache and, you know, puberty's coming, kid. Why would you have the thing that we're waiting for be the thing we saw before the movie even opened? <laughs> I don't know. So strange. I thought that too. I was like, that's the old. I know I saw Mark Wahlberg with a mustache in the trailer. I never saw it in the movie. Oh, here it is at the stinger. Yeah. I. Mm, okay. Anyway, the point is that they are friends, or at least they're staying together until they get back to Sam. Oh, no. You're missing the point. The point is we now know the entire plot of part two. Well, okay. You know the entire plot of part two. I know that it involves. Nate's necklace, which didn't look very valuable, but is being traded for a Nazi map. The joke is this time they're bringing along Mr. Whiskers too. Sully has brought that useless cat that he was so worried about the whole first movie now will be a part of the adventure. Yeah, but this guy Gage says he's working for Roman, and I played the whole first Uncharted. That's Gabriel Roman, who was the bad guy of the first game. They're going to look for the treasure of El Dorado. And when they leave the bar, they're like, oh my god, it's you! And we don't know who the hell that is. Well, it's probably Elena Fisher, who is a big character, and was Nathan's love interest in the video games more than Chloe. So, the people who've played even the first game are able to take all of this scene and put together where they're going for part two. Yeah, I mean, Marvel teasers can be this sort of puzzling for the non-initiated as well. I was like, whatever the hell this means. But I do think it's funny. You're telling me a major character is introduced in this last moment. They don't cut to her. They're not so confident that they have a sequel that's going to happen that they've already hired the actress that's going to play that part. Uh, they'll figure that out if this thing makes a return. They did hire the actor who's going to be Sam, but he is uncredited and Ruben Fleischer won't even tell us who it is. Okay. I didn't catch it from my one viewing of the film. I didn't go, oh, it's him. <laughs> Ten years ago, it would have been Luke Perry. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he looks like in the game. Well, I think it's time for me to tell Ruben Fleischer, I don't care who it is. So, Justin Stewart, do you recommend Uncharted? Justin. Here's my problem. I don't know who I'd recommend it to. Because if you're a fan of Uncharted, this movie's just going to piss you off. Because it does not feel the games. We spoke about it. It's miscast. I consider and recast it in my head. And it would be better, I think. And that's not to say that the people in this movie did a bad job. It's just that the characters from this game have such a personality that the players already know that you either need to try to emulate that or move so far away from it that you're not even making an Uncharted movie. So if you're a fan of the game, I don't think there's much for you here. There's a few scenes that do feel like they're from the game, but it just doesn't land as a satisfying representation of this series. So if you're in the game world, this isn't for you. So now I'm talking to a general audience. If you just want to go see a fun action movie, well, I think we already said it. This is just average. It's just an average action movie. It tries to be Da Vinci Code, but it's not as clever. 
tries to be Indiana Jones, but it's not as exciting. It has a little bit of the Goonies to it too, but it's not as funny and, and, and endearing as the Goonies. So I'm left just kind of like, eh, I didn't hate it. We've seen way worse movies in the arcade, way worse movies. But this one, you know, I'm going to give it a slight not recommend just for the final scene. I think flying pirate ships through the sky is a fun thing that will stick in my head for a while. Like I, I'm trying to think back to anything that I remember from the more recent Tomb Raider movie that we reviewed. Nothing sticks in my head. I at least think that these pirate ships floating in the sky is something that's going to stick with me for a while. So that keeps it from being a full-on not recommend for me. So it's just a slight not recommend. Stuart. You know, and I can have some empathy that it really, as we pick at this movie, it becomes pretty clear that they had some COVID issues, that they were hampered in this production. Things had to get changed, things that don't make sense, things you wouldn't have in here are here because they were trapped by the fact of the six feet apart and, oh, this actor's not available. And I I presume a lot of this could have been solved if there had been no COVID. But even if they had been able to make the movie they started making, I think Justin's right to call it pretty mediocre. This is just not a particularly exciting swashbuckler. There's not a lot of great action. Maybe one or two scenes kind of work. There's no chemistry at all. Tom Holland is all wrong in the part, and he doesn't have any fun with Mark Wahlberg or with any of the girls. I don't know. You just needed wit. You needed chemistry. You needed, you know, these are Raiders of the Lost Art. You know, like it's an art to being able to go back in time and revitalize an old genre, and they don't have it. You bring up the Tomb Raider reboot. I thought they could at least match that, but I feel like this thing is kind of lame and yeah it's not even a mild not recommend it's a fairly like straight across the board nothing here to see and i was really torn because like both of you i feel like this is a completely average run-of-the-mill adventure film you know it's like jungle cruise or that other rock jungle movie that just came out with ryan reynolds i'm blanking on the name it's that forgettable you know just an action film, it passes the time. I do think the plane stunt is really well done. I think the Tom Holland doing some of the falls, some of the jumps, they made such a big deal in the bonus features that the way Tom Holland rolled over a table when thrown by the Scotsman in the auction house is exactly the way Nathan Drake rolled over a table when thrown by a goon in the video games. I mean, they were attention to detail to bring this video game to life, and it felt like watching somebody else play a video game. You know, I enjoyed playing Uncharted. I thought it was a really good game and really cinematic. And then when I watched the movie, it's like a whole bunch of cutscenes. And so where does that come down? Is that a recommend if you're just average? Is that a not recommend because you're not special? And I needed to find a deciding factor here. I needed something to push me one way or the other. Could the plane scene be enough to push me into recommend territory? And I finally found my decider. And that was how shitty they disposed of Antonio Banderas. <laughs> we spent a good 10 minutes on his backstory and figuring out he has a feud with his father and he's going to lose his fortune. And we've set up this character who is the most interesting character in the whole movie to me, honestly. And then you just slit his throat out of nowhere and it was all for nothing. And so 
that is what's pushing me into weak, not recommend territory is the fact that I think they had a good villain and just for whatever reason, maybe COVID or maybe that was the twist planned all along. But I'm sorry, but Braddock does not make a satisfying final boss. So, yeah, it's a not recommend. And I'm really not looking forward to the sequel they've teased. I'm looking forward to the new Uncharted game, but I'm not looking forward to a new Uncharted film. I don't think it's going to happen. You know, when they're Wahlberg and Holland are flying away and they look down at the wreck sinking and say, there goes 4.6 billion, they might be talking about the PlayStation (laughs) universe. You know, like (laughs) this idea that you can just make anything Marvel is proven wrong. You have the star of a of a huge Marvel character. If it were that easy, if you could just plug and play, cut and paste, then yeah, we, we they could just print the money, but it's not. They had everything except the actual spark and wit we'd like to see in a movie, and consequently, no one will remember this. If they make a sequel, no one will remember they saw the first one. Yeah, what I mean, what it's done for me, the one positive is, is that it's brought the franchise back in front of me. And now that I do have a PlayStation 5, I've downloaded Uncharted 4 and I'm looking forward to playing it and anticipation of the, the fifth game coming out. So, yeah, if nothing else, it's reinvigorated my enjoyment of the game, but I'm not looking forward to a part two if it happens. Which begs the question, is a video game movie supposed to be a movie Or is it supposed to be a feature-length commercial for the games? Because if it's a feature-length commercial for the games, all you have to do, Justin, is order some Papa John's while you play, and I think this movie's a success. Don't forget the Bubba Young. I'm with you. I I agree. It may still succeed for PlayStation if it whets the appetites for people if a new game is coming out. I agree. It looks like a fun game based on this movie equivalency advertisement, but I don't want any more of this. But we are going to be doing more video game movies. I I think we're going to try and polish off what's left. And that includes Ace Attorney. I love that there's a lawyer video game. (laughs) We've got Assassin's Creed we've never gotten to. And even a Dolph Lundgren game that was made for cell phones. I've never heard of. Dead Trigger. (laughs) It sounds fantastic, doesn't it? But we're going to do a lot of video game things leading up to the new Sonic the Hedgehog 2. You know what? Jim Carrey's back. I enjoyed that first Sonic a lot. I'm kind of looking forward to the sequel. Well, I mean, it wasn't what I thought it would be. It wasn't the travesty I anticipated it being. But we got a couple other things to hit before we get into video games again. There has been, this weekend, the premiere of a new Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie. You may not know that because it's not at theaters It's on Netflix, but Brock will be joining us next week to cover that. And Brock is joining us this Friday for Harry Potter. We are going to deal with the Prisoner of Azkaban this time, the third of the Harry Potter reviews that are available for gold patrons, gold donors. I'm having a lot of fun with the Harry Potter series, I don't mind saying. You know, I've never seen some of the movies. I read all the books, and it's interesting to go back and reread them for Books and Nachos. The new Books and Nachos show will be out on Thursday with our movie review on Friday, and we hope you can join us. You can find the details at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate on our spring donation drive, which includes the Jurassic Park films, because we've got the third Jurassic World coming out soon. We've got 
Twilight because that seems like a companion to Harry Potter in certain ways. At least they've both got Robert Pattinson. <laughs> I mean, they're both millennial phenomenons. How about that? Book series that blew up big on the movie screen. Getting real close to Fifty Shades. <laughs> mm, it could happen. <laughs> and then... At the Platinum level, you also get the Fantastic Beasts review, where we will finally reveal the secrets of Dumbledore in the new theatrical release coming up. So, just remember, we're a show without any sponsors, without any ads. It's supporters that allow us to keep doing the show we do every single Tuesday. Without your support, Now Playing would not still be going. So, you can find the details of how to support us on our website. Including, if you're a $25 patron... You get early reviews, and our next planned early review is coming in just two weeks when we review The Batman. Yeah, speaking of Robert Pattinson, he is taking over the cowl, and we'll see. How many is this now? We've had, this is Batman number six. We'll see how he does. I think we've had as many Batmans as James Bonds, but far fewer Batman movies. So thank you for listening. Justin Stewart, thank you for joining me. And until next time, game over. A little young for a bartender, aren't you? A little old for prom, aren't you? Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Thanks a lot. You almost got me killed. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new movie review podcast. Did you hear that? And in the NowPlayingPodcast.com archives, you can find reviews of other video game movies, including Resident Evil, The Wizard, Street Fighter, Double Dragon, Tomb Raider, Rampage, and more. You know your history. Also at our site, you can find hundreds of other movie reviews, including Star Wars, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Independence Day, The Avengers Films, Back to the Future, Batman, Superman, The Fast and the Furious, and more. Oh my god, I'm so sorry! Do you want to continue? Insert money now to keep playing, now playing. Here's the tenure. Now Playing Podcast is a show without any sponsors or ads. We rely on support from listeners like you to keep Now Playing operating. Hey, put them down, boys. You can donate to the show and, as our thank you, receive bonus podcasts. Over 150 bonus movie reviews are available to choose from on the Now Playing Podbean page, including Alien, Night of the Living Dead, Jurassic Park, Ghostbusters, Indiana Jones, Lord of the Rings, Psycho, Troll, and more. Find a full list of available bonus shows at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. What else aren't you telling me? You can also join the Now Playing patron campaign through our Podbean site. Patrons of $10 or more get a new exclusive movie review every month. Plus, even more perks. Find the details on our website. Hey, you still with me? You can help us out by leaving us a five-star review on Stitcher, Podbean, iTunes, or your other podcast store of choice. Hello? Hello? You can follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini-reviews. Links to our social media pages are available on our homepage. Come on! Now Playing Podcast is produced and edited by Arnie Carvalho. Shut up, I'm working on it. Associate produced by Jason Latham. You're doing great. Now playing credits read by Brock. I can hear you. I'm sitting right next to you. 
The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Enganza Media Incorporated. It was 50-50, so I made a guess. This podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by any entity that created or produced the film or game discussed in this podcast. Now Playing is an independent movie review podcast with no affiliation with any company involved in the publishing, creating, or distribution of that film or game. So touch your ear like that, you look like an idiot. The film and all music and clips used are the property of the original copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This is not a time for shots, let's go! Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2022. All rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. We better get small, or in your case, smaller. We're only like one inch taller than me. There's a little more than that, kid. I guess let's find out, Arnie. Do you have a plot summary for us? Where'd Stuart go? Where did Stuart go? <laughs> we lost Stuart. For anybody listening live, <laughs> if you're wondering why we're just kind of sitting here like, um. Uh, he froze. <laughs> He might have to reboot. Okay. Do we have technical difficulty music? Do, 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 do. That sounded like the price is right almost. Like oh, I'm yeah. getting ready for a showcase. I watched The Price is Right for the first time in probably 20 years when they had their 40th anniversary show on primetime. Is it still Drew Carey? It is still Drew Carey. All right. I hope Bob Barker's doing okay because he did not show up for it. And oftentimes uh, I feel like when people in their 90s don't show up for things that like maybe they're not doing so well. Are you saying I'm a 90-year-old person? <laughs> no, I'm talking about Bob Barker. <laughs> Bob Barker of The Price is Right? Yes. <laughs> okay, I missed a lot. In you, my... yeah. <laughs> yeah. We were killing Sorry dead air. That. Yeah, <laughs> we were talking for the sake of talking. Okay, all right. I was like, did they really include Bob Barker in Uncharted in some way? Okay. <laughs> all right, I'm back with you guys. Sorry about that. Okay. and is not wanting to go forward with any more treasure hunting. Shit, I forgot to unplug the phone. So about Bob Barker oh, and his health now. <laughs> yeah, it talks too, just to be extra annoying. Yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> Don't forget to spay and neuter, folks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs>